The future of education isn't fixed. It's made one thought, one conversation, one choice at a time. I'm Bernard Bull, your host, and I've spent most of my adult life thinking, talking, and writing about the future of education, struggling to figure out how I can help create a more hopeful, humane, and inspiring education system. Welcome to EDU Futures, where I talk with world-class innovators, scholars, futurists, and people discontent enough with the status quo to do something about it. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome to another episode of EDU Futures. Today, I have Abby Fallick, an award-winning social entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of Global Citizen Year. This is a nonprofit using the power of global immersion to unlock curiosity, conviction, and courage in our next generation leaders. Abby is a recognized leader on social innovation, leadership, and the changing landscape of education. Abby has been profiled by the New York Times, the Washington Post, NPR, and the Chronicle of Higher Education. Abby has been featured at forums like the Aspen Ideas Festival, the Obama Foundation Summit, Fast Company Innovation Festival, PopTech, and the Nantucket Project. In 2018, Abby was named one of America's top 25 philanthropy speakers by the business of giving. In 2019, she was named one of Goldman Sachs' most intriguing entrepreneurs for the third consecutive year, and in 2016, Fast Company named her one of the most creative people in business. For her achievements as a social entrepreneur, she has been recognized as an Ashoka Fellow, a Mindtrust Fellow, and a Draper Richards Kaplan Entrepreneur. She's currently serving on advisory boards for World Learning, Teach for All, and Harvard Business School. Abby holds a BA in International Relations and an MA in International Comparative Education from Stanford, and she has her MBA from Harvard. This is a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Abby is living in this intriguing space where she's doing some incredible work outside of the some of the regulatory context that some of us in K-12 or higher education are working. And I believe that that's part of the magic, that she's able to do some things and create some possibilities that are quite compelling. And as you'll hear from our interview, it appears as if she might be venturing into some of those more regulated spaces, or at least partnering or collaborating in some new and fascinating ways in the future. So check it out. Look forward to seeing what you think. Abby, you have been busy, and it's inspiring to learn about all the things that you've been doing in the world. I look forward to spending a little bit of time with you today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I would love to begin our conversation, and we'll venture into uh, uh, your work with Global Citizen Year in a moment, but I'd like to talk a little bit about you before we get into that and, and hear a little bit of your story. How did you get into this line of work and, and develop this particular passion? I feel enormously grateful uh, to have had a a through line that I have followed in some ways since childhood. And, you know, I think it was Steve Jobs had a famous commencement address at Stanford about how the, the dots never connect looking forward, but in hindsight, they do. So it would be uh, disingenuous to pretend that I knew exactly where it was all leading. But I did have a strong instinct and, and it came from experiences traveling as a kid. So my parents had decided that international exposure was going to be an important part 
of our education. I'm the oldest of three. And my earliest and most vivid memories are of following them around the world. We were in Southern Africa and Southeast Asia, and we would often go and visit schools where we'd meet kids our age. And I had early impressions of the world being huge and wildly unequal and a, a, an awareness and context for my own privilege and opportunity um, that was clear to me when I would then come back to the Bay Area where I was growing up and, you know, had access to, a, you know, a fantastic education. Uh, but I just always knew that there was something bigger than me that I was meant to commit my focus and, um, of energy toward. And so in many ways, the story unfolds from there and there's nothing else I could be doing in the world. This vision for, for global citizen year and, and normalizing a new pathway into higher education has been cooking since I finished high school and desperately wanted to find something like it and couldn't, uh, and then germinated while I was in college and happy to share a little bit more about experiences I had, primarily through learning through travel and work experience outside of the classroom contest and context and recognizing, as I had as a kid, that it was the real world experience that was the most formative and informative part of my education and feeling like there's something off here that we don't count that for credit, that we don't consider that to be part of education. We think of it as separate from. Uh, and then ended up going to business school with this concept cooking and, and launched. I won the pitch competition at Harvard Business School, which was really my moment of commitment. And ever since, over the last decade, have um, been fixated on, on bringing this vision to life. Wow. Uh, I, I didn't get that part about your childhood before. When I was preparing for this, I didn't realize you had that much of sort of a experience of travel. That is fascinating. I'm wondering about your own experience in college when you uh, had these kinds of uh, real world uh, trips. Was there one that was particularly powerful for you? I had really wanted to take time off before I got to Stanford. And I, you know, I had done all the things. I checked the boxes. I'd been, you know, as they call it, an excellent sheep. And I finished high school with this sense that my identity was as a student and my sense of purpose had been to get into college. And I'd done those things, but I knew there was something really missing fundamentally in my education. And, and when I couldn't find something like Global Citizen Year, I decided to just follow the flow and the inertia. There was so much momentum to just go straight to college, so I did. But after two years of sitting in a classroom context and learning about the things that I was interested in, so education and global development, I felt really antsy. And so I decided to, it was called stopping out, and you essentially made a plan for not coming back to school. So I took a year off after my sophomore year, and I went to Brazil and Nicaragua, essentially on my own, with a couple of clues about projects to get involved in. And I had the most important educational experiences of my life, and they had nothing to do with, with the formal parts of my education. I was looking for a job. I was finding ways to be useful. I was learning new languages. I was deeply immersed in local communities and, and building relationships um, with people I, whose lives I could never have envisioned from a distance. And all of that just shook me up. It gave me a sense of my own agency. It planted a sense of purpose for the kind of work I wanted to be doing in the world. And it gave me confidence so that when I finally came back to college, I felt like I was starting fresh. It was my senior year and I felt like the clock was ticking, but suddenly I had a focus and a purpose and the you know courage to reach out to professors to mentor me. And it struck me again that it was ironic 
that we wait until a junior year typically to encourage kids to do some kind of study abroad when that experience at the front end of our higher education experience changes everything. And so it just really reinforced for me the need um, to make it commonplace, expected, aspirational, accessible for kids from all backgrounds to to figure out their why before they get to college campus. Wow, that's that's uh, there's so much. I keep wanting to jump ahead into the conversation <laughs> please, just from things. Well, I said. <laughs> please, please jump in. Feel but free to interrupt me. I work so hard in these interviews to. I try to keep them conversational and informal like this, but I work so hard to giving the listeners kind of a story to follow. And I realize sometimes I just have to let go of that. Let's have a conversation and invite them to listen along. But <laughs> uh, so so clearly, these had uh, formative influence on your thinking and help help shape some of the work behind Global Citizen Year. But let's jump ahead to the formation of this of this organization and how to get, tell me a little bit more about how that came about. And I'd love to, to dive in then to some of the early lessons that you learned. I, I've come to see entrepreneurship, certainly for me, as um, a slow cook rather than an epiphany moment. And so the, the early seeds were planted in childhood, high school, and college, it sort of came together into a business plan when I was um, in graduate school. Uh, but I, I think because I'd been focused on this concept for so long, it, there was nothing that was going to stop me. I knew that I knew more about this very specific thing I was trying to do than anybody else. And it gave me the confidence that is really essential when you're starting something from scratch, when you're trying to convince the world that something is possible that hasn't been done yet. And I graduated from school and from, from business school in 2008, which was terrible timing. The economy crashed a few months later. And so to be, um, and trying to raise new philanthropy for a, a nonprofit was particularly challenging, but also very fortifying because it made it clear to me that there was nothing else I could be doing with myself, that, that this was a vision whose time had come and I'd spent a long time preparing myself for the moment of launching it. And it gave me um, the courage to stick with it, even as a lot of people tried to dissuade me in the early days. Mm. What was the... Uh, as you're putting a business plan together, what was the value proposition? What was the problem you were trying to solve or the possibility you were trying to create? The problem was that we are sending young people into higher education without a clear sense of their own agency and purpose for how to use it. The insight was that if we, you know, are, are if we care about changing the experience, the outcomes of a higher education, that the best way to do that is by changing the inputs into the system. And for me, there was a deep commitment simultaneously to making sure that many more and more diverse non-Americans had firsthand exposure with the global majority, with people living uh, around the world, primarily in Africa, Latin America, and Asia, where very few of us travel or stay longer than some kind of flyby. But if we've got, if we want to have a shot at solving our collective global challenges, we need more young people and young leaders in particular to have those kinds of experiences as the foundation for how they use their higher education and how they then navigate their careers. All of that has coalesced into our core purpose at Global Citizen Year, which is to pioneer a new educational pathway to launch the leaders that our world needs now. 
Hmm. And as you were forming that idea, I'm assuming you came across a few different ways in which you could go about this. Uh, obviously, you chose uh, the route of starting this distinct organization. Uh, even within that, uh, there could have been a partnership with higher education um, organizations, or you could go directly to the learners. And um, so talk us through a little bit why you chose one over the other. And it's been an evolution. So I, my experience prior to business school was at a nonprofit that no longer exists. And it was sobering and so instructive to see up close an organization that had resources and talent and a good big idea, but couldn't pull the parts together in a way that, that made sense and allowed it to thrive. And so one of the first questions I was asking as we launched Global Citizen Nerve was whether it needed to be a standalone separate new entity or whether it might be part of an existing structure. So I looked at a partnership with City Year, which provides young people an opportunity to do a year of, of service in an American city and proposed that maybe Global Citizen Year could be the global counterpart to City Year. I talked to the Peace Corps about extending the age range to do something related for younger people students. And I can look back now and see that none of those um, orientations quite made sense because this ultimately was not about a year of service for young people. In working with a, a younger group uh, before, before they start college, the emphasis has to be on their learning and growth. So in many ways, it was more like starting a school than starting a, a typical nonprofit. And we've spent our early years focused on recruiting students directly. So we work with high schools. We work with um, with with uh, all kinds of sort of media and marketing and social media to reach young people and really high achieving young people wherever they are. And in the last couple of years, we've recognized that what we do must be embedded into the systems and structures around us. If it's ever going to be more than just a quote unquote gap year, and I put the quotes around it because it's a terrible term and has no no uh, promise of scaling the size of the challenges we're all facing with that as its metaphor. The idea that you might be falling into a gaping hole between high school and college and all of our associations with it, that it may or may not be intentional, it might be your default, it's historically been something just available for kids who come from privilege. So the big idea here is how do you plant a new idea culturally and change the systems so that someday this becomes an integral part of higher education. I want to get into sort of the nuts and bolts and how all this works, but uh, this idea of changing a system is just too intriguing to let go. <laughs> so what are the um, what are the biggest barriers or the biggest challenges in the existing system that you've you've had to work through or maybe you're still working through? We're still very much working through it. And I think working um, working with higher education, which was not originally the plan or my background, has proven to be challenging in many ways. I think as a social entrepreneur, I feel like my idea is to envision what the world's trying to become and then gather resources and uh, allies to make that vision real in the world, to help us grow into what is possible. And working with institutions that are slow to change, very bureaucratic, and um, in, in many ways more inclined to, to tinker slowly than to reinvent themselves 
is challenging. And the opportunity emerges as we now have a thousand alumni in watching how they show up on college campuses. And then, it, you know, in turn, we've had dozens of schools begin to reach out to us saying, oh, these are exactly the skills and perspectives and orientation that so many of our freshmen are missing. That kids get into college, sometimes overprepared academically, and often you know, wildly underprepared socially and emotionally in terms of having a context and sense of purpose in their education. So it's, it's emerged somewhat organically that colleges have started to see us as a real resource to them in delivering a set of students who are really prepared to, to chase down to the answer to burning questions that they have when they get to campus as opposed to, to being burnt out and just going through the motions. Yeah, so let's... let's uh put some skin on this and give the listeners a sense of what it's like. And I'm wondering if we can't do this in the form of a, a experience of a prospective student. So let's take, uh, how about Bernard? <laughs> we'll take a, a, a junior in high school named Bernard and, Great. Uh, and he's planning to go to college. His dream school is MIT, but he may or may not get in. And, um, and and so he's intrigued by this idea. He's heard about gap years before, and somehow he comes across across your organization. Where does it go from there? So Bernard, uh, as he goes through the website and starts to get to know um, some of our alumni and their stories, his interest is piqued. He also sees that we have a strong affiliation with IT and dozens of other colleges who actively endorse and encourage their students to join global citizen here. But he goes through an application process and and uh, he can apply as early as the spring of his junior year when the first seed is planted. And in that case, he would, if he were admitted into global citizen, you have the opportunity to present that as part of his application to MIT. Or there are subsequent application deadlines for students in the senior year of, of high school as well. So we find that there are many different timelines for somebody making the decision they want to step off the conveyor belt and, and have a different experience. And for some, it's waiting until they've gotten the admissions letter and they know they, their next plan is set and secure and clear. And finally, they feel like they can put their shoulders down and, and take a breath and think on their own terms about what the, like, the best next step and might be. Um, okay, so um, uh, he he learns more, and he's really sold, and he wants to 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 sign up. Uh, now what? Well, unfortunately, and fortunately, it's not just a sign up; it's actually a rigorous <laughs> application process, uh-huh. <laughs> and and we've developed it because we recognize the big resources. We need a tight and clear theory of change, as it's called, and for us, it's about identifying them exceptional spark of leadership potential. Now, that doesn't necessarily look like what MIT is going to be screening for. We don't look at test scores or grades. We've decided that there are indicators of leadership potential that that come out through your track record in high school of having chased down an opportunity, value your peers to follow you, who have been trustworthy and influential among their peers and who are deeply motivated by the experience that we offer. And they submit an application to us. It can be either a a written essay or a video response. We take you through a number of interviews, both with our team and with our alumni, really to assess that it's the right match and both 
professions. And then we accept a, a full cohort. It's a need-blind admissions process as well, which is one of the things that really makes sense apart from other travel or gap year programs. So we're committed to meeting the full need of, of the students who are admitted to Global Citizen Care. And this is made possible through generous support from uh, donors and foundations. So we've raised and given away $25 million in scholarship funds um, in our first decade. So Bernard has put together the most compelling video you've ever seen. He seems like an amazing yes. fit for Global Citizen Year. The team reviews it and decides you're in. Uh, now what happens? So now he he lets MIT know that he'll be coming the next year. And oh, he didn't get into are... MIT, by the way. <laughs> so... oh, no. oh, no. Okay, well, we'll have, another shot. we'll have another shot at applying to MIT with the Global Citizen Year in his, in his kind of uh, on his resume, but even more importantly, in his experience, at, and, and we do find about a third of our fellows each year end up changing their mind about where they want to go to college. So it's either that they're going to reapply somewhere that they didn't get in before, or they just have a new sense of where they want to be and why. But it's always done so deliberately, and they all report, 90% report, that they end up getting into uh, schools that are better matched which we feel really delighted by. So not to worry. Uh, you may still get into MIT, but even better, you may change your mind about where you want to be after your global citizen year. So we, have, we bring all our fellows together uh, for a boot camp, which is a training that we host at Stanford University for a week at the end of the summer. And everyone comes together, they're introduced to our learning framework to each other, uh, and, and the core curriculum, which is equal parts of focus on learning yourself and your own leadership capabilities, learning about the world and um, global development and social innovation as levers for changing the world, and ultimately coming out of the global system with a, an instinct on how those two things overlap and intersect. So the things that you're passionate about and care about can, can connect to what the world needs urgently. And so the Harvey experience is eight months where you live and work in a host community in currently Brazil, Ecuador, Senegal, or India. We have a host family and an apprenticeship, we call it, which is a place where you go to work every day. You might be assisted teaching the school in Pune, India. You might be tracking endangered species, uh, monkeys in, in the Amazon, or assisting births in a clinic in Senegal. But you are part of a, a cohort, a team of 10 other fellows in your region who you interact with each week. You have a team leader who's essentially our uh, teacher on the ground, so it's a, a distributed school model where they are checking into to help you set goals and, and break through challenges and to troubleshoot as things come up. Your whole crew comes together every month for a training seminar. And then at the end of the equivalent of the school year, after California for a week of re-entry, uh, that just helps you prepare to, to go home and to approach your college with a clear sense of purpose. And then our fellows launch, but you remain a part of the Global Citizen Year Alumni Network. And it, for many of our alums, has become really a foundational network in ways for life. So it's not just a year, it's really a lifetime fellowship. Yeah, that, so so let's just continue with this story a little bit, because this leads to a question I'm so intrigued by. I'm sure you have an answer for. Um, so Bernard goes through this amazing experience, uh, transformational. He's thinking about life and learning in different ways. Um, incredible relationships that'll last a lifetime, uh, I would imagine. And he doesn't get into his first college of choice, but he does get into a, a second college of choice. It's a great fit for him. Um, 
And yet he finds himself in these classrooms. He's sitting in these uh, really traditional lecture halls. And <laughs> I can't help but imagine that he's not doing a little bit of daydreaming about Senegal <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. or something else. So tell me a little bit about that transition and how that works for people who've had this amazing experience. And then they step into a, a legacy, very traditional kind of model sometimes. Yeah, and, and, and the transition is consistently challenging. I think one of the things we've gotten better at is preparing our fellows to understand that that transition is tricky, and particularly in the first year. Um, and, and typically, after a semester or so, you have a clearer sense of how to craft your education in a way that meets your needs. So, you know, a substantial portion of our fellows end up designing their own major, where that's a possibility. A lot of them end up petitioning for credit for various parts of their experience with Global Citizen Year or internships they might be doing in the community outside of school to count for credit toward a major. There's this um, instinct around how to be in the driver's seat of your education, not just to be uh, pulled along and kind of going through the, the checklist that defines uh, what's expected of you, but to actually find ways. I mean, most college campuses provide opportunities for entrepreneurial students to have transformative experiences. And so part of our instinct here is that one of the best ways to change the, the current state of a lot of these legacy institutions is to deliver a set of students who are ready to shake things up with how and where they want to learn what they want to learn. Yeah, that's that's intriguing. Um, the in terms of of that that transition for students, or or really during these trips, the kind of transformation happens that happens in them. I'm, I'm assuming you're collecting some data about that. Um, what are you finding? What kinds of changes in mindset or goals, aspirations, dreams, passions? What, what sort of things do you see happening during that year? So we, we do, we've been data crazy from the beginning um, and do rigorous assessments pre and post experience. So we're looking at language proficiency, self-awareness and self-efficacy, empathy, global perspective, resilience, um, uh, sense of purpose for college. And then we have a longitudinal study, and we've actually partnered with, with academic groups, both at Harvard and the Stanford Education School, looking at the impact of this year on pro-social behaviors and decisions over the course of college and then into their early careers. Ultimately, our vision is to be seeding young people into positions of influence and power across all sectors so that we'll have CEOs and journalists and heads of school systems and senators, all of whom have shared this foundational experience that gives them a sense of belonging that's so much bigger than where they might have grown up and a sense of courage that it positions them to focus on social impact as their bottom line and to lead with an equity lens. And so these are the things that we are tracking. The, the 30 year out vision needs to be broken down into bite sized pieces so that we can see we're on track, but it'll still take some time to play out overall, which is we're seeding a, a new generation of leaders. And if we can change the leaders and change the world, that's the legacy we hope to leave. 
As I'm hearing this, fascinating, really exciting work. I, I love the vision here, and it really does go beyond the scope of what I hear in terms of the vision for a lot of traditional gap year kinds of programs. Um, so I'm grateful for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you for that. Obviously, you brought up the the idea of equity and access and mm-hmm. opportunity is is one of the questions that sort of comes to mind. And um, can you talk a little bit about how Global Citizen Year uh, strives to keep these doors open to a wide array of students. You mentioned the financial barrier you've the you've financial worked to aid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and from the beginning we worked to remove it, which meant that we were attracting a set of kids who historically had not had opportunities like this. We are currently the only experience like ours um, that's focused on leadership and long-term global immersion that has a need-blind admissions process that has been accessible to young people from a wide range of backgrounds. Our our current cohort, uh, more than half of the class self-identify as people of color. 40% will be Pell Grant eligible when they get to college. Um, And 80% over time have participated on some level of need-based financial aid. So it's not not the demographic you typically associate with the gap year. And we're leading by example in that. We're saying that you know, our, our future leaders need to better represent our societal diversity, that our traditional approach to elite college admissions is often uh, at the exclusion of kids with tremendous potential, but who may not have had the academic training to be the, the, the sort of standouts on paper. And we're trying to level that playing field by identifying young people and identifying young talent in new ways and preparing them with the, the, the trio we use as we talk about curiosity, conviction, and courage that land them a world ahead of their peers by the time they get to college and, and really set them up um, to be influencers and leaders in ways that they may never have otherwise had access to. So where is this going? You shared a little bit about the vision, how where you you hope to see those who, who've had this experience and where they go in the world, the kind of impact they have. I'm curious about just the structure of Global Citizen Year and if there are some possible future models that you're dreaming of that that maybe are an extension or or a shift from what you're doing right now. From the beginning, we've existed both to impact a growing cohort of young leaders each year through this core experience and to continue to support our alumni, but also to be a proof point for one of the ways that higher education can reinvent itself. And so in our next decade, as we transition from chapter one to chapter two, we're focused both on scaling up our core fellowship. The vision is to launch 10,000 diverse, new, globally-minded leaders in the next decade, while influencing a broader sea change in how colleges and universities think about what it means to be college-ready. And one of the things that we're working on now uh, relates to my experience in college when I spent this year in Latin America and came back to to campus and looked around and felt like, what a strange thing that I can get credit for sitting in the lecture hall and regurgitating what's been told to my brain. And I somehow have to now make a case for getting credit for the things that actually shaped who I am and who I'm becoming. So I did make that case and I ended up petitioning for my year of 
real-world experience to count for actual credit in college. And that insight has stayed with me. So the next frontier at Global Citizen Europe is identifying school of record who will accredit our core eight-month leadership course, which allows us to position what we're doing as part of college, not separate and additional to it. And that's really the key to creating systems change, in our view, is uh, to demonstrate that this experience is as worthy of credit as so many other things that we're willing to get credit for. And that's how we really can embed ourselves structurally as opposed to uh, sort of being positioned as, oh, a gap year that adds time and cost to college. No, this is not a gap year. This is a new way of conceptualizing how young people need to be prepared for college. It is a compelling vision. And Abby, I'm so grateful, as I mentioned before, for the work that you're doing. Really, I think this is an incredible gift that you're making a vision for education concrete that could really transform things. And, Thank uh, you. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're energized and we're just getting started. So I so appreciate your enthusiasm and partnership and um, the opportunity to share where we're heading. Thanks for listening to this episode of EDU Futures, where we agree with Bucky Fuller when he wrote, You never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Check out show notes and other episodes at futurist.fm forward slash edu futures.